Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us to this place on this day. And uh, Lord, speak to us now. You've blessed us in song and uh, in, as we've responded to your word and as we've had opportunity to give. Now, Lord, uh, send your spirit to guide our minds in this part. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin with a text. It's not one we usually read at church. From the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. We don't read those at church very often, do we? These are the words of someone who has reflected upon the reality of life and seen the ugliness that goes on in the world and said, you know what, This this is difficult. Life is difficult. That was the first line of uh, the M. Scott Peck book. You familiar with that, The Road Less Traveled? Life is difficult. And then he goes on to say, however, when we acknowledge that reality, we've already taken the first step to dealing with that reality, and we find in the end life not so difficult. If you're living this life expecting to breeze through without any trials, how's that going for you? Not so good, is it? In fact, it's kind of anecdotal, but I think that doesn't limit it from being true. In the different years that Alicia and I have have had small groups out of our home where where folks would gather one night a week and we'd do Bible study and prayer together, invariably in the course of a year, every single person in that group would have some sort of significant crisis. Health, family, work, finance, crash their car. Everybody had, it seemed, at least one crisis a year. But what was amazing about the group was we were there for each other when it happened. Now, the author of Ecclesiastes addresses this same issue too because he starts out by painting this picture of how bleak reality is. And let's just be honest, it is. But at the end of this chapter, He mentions an important way that we're given to cope. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will pick up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So what is one of the solutions, one of the remedies, one of the opportunities God has given us to face the reality that life is difficult? Togetherness. Togetherness. Very good. Where'd you get that? That's good. (laughs) It's exactly right. He's given us each other. And the more that we will link ourselves together in brotherhood and sisterhood, the stronger we will be 
to face the inevitable challenges that are going to hit us in our lives. Nobody gets a pass. The only question is, it's not if the trial comes, it's when the trial comes, will you have to face it alone? Or will you have people with you? So we've been talking about the values. We started with the mission, live the gospel, and the the vision, passion for God, passion for people, passion for service. And now we're talking about these values. Worship, we talked about family, we talked about today, togetherness. You have this blue card, should have been in your bulletin. If you have it, take it out because we're going to talk about the points on here. And I want you to be able to see it. And as you look at it, you see these words. Spiritual togetherness as a God-honoring experience with each other. And we go through our lives and we have a lot of experiences with other people, right? Are they God-honoring? See, that's an important phrase in here. That the kind of togetherness we would like to see and that will help us the most as a community is that God-honoring togetherness. As we look at this, and Candy's here to help us out, you see this first, this first uh, bullet point here says, we are committed to creating environments that foster trusting relationships. Candy, what's a trusting relationship? Well, a trusting relationship is a relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, is a relationship where we feel safe, um, where we know that we can be our true selves and the people around us will accept us no matter what. Um, it's a place where we know that we can share our deepest concerns whether they be about our family, whether they be about work, or whether they be about our spiritual relationship with God, and know that we're going to be met by someone that will lift us up, someone that will point us and um, give us words that will draw us not only closer together as people, but closer to God, that God honoring. So what happens to us if we don't have trusting relationships? Well, loneliness and isolation are the opposite of togetherness. And loneliness and isolation are rampant right now, um, especially in, in specific um, groups of people. That loneliness is so devastating, we don't realize it. You know, we just think loneliness is just something you feel, it's an emotion. But I'm gonna share with you some of the physical ramifications of loneliness and isolation. Depression, poor sleep quality, impaired executive function. In other words, we can't make wise decisions anymore. We don't reason well. Accelerated cognitive decline, early onset of dementia, Alzheimer's, the inability to use our brains as effectively as we used to. Poor cardiovascular function, plainly put, heart disease, and impaired immunity. And the important thing to understand is that this is not, I mean, when you read that list, you think, well, that's the elderly. But it's not, it's at every stage. So we're talking from children all the way to the last stages of life. In fact, we found a quote, uh, a statistic that I thought was absolutely astounding, especially for us as Adventists who proclaim a health message. Um, 
It's up there now. A lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having alcohol and twice as harmful to physical and mental health than obesity. Astounding. So what you're saying to me is that if all I am doing is, is trying to attend to external principles of physical health, I haven't necessarily secured myself from a lot of these things because you're telling me that my emotional health will impact my physical reality? Absolutely, and, and this is known. Um, that's why when we become isolated and lonely or stressed, it comes out in physical fatigue. It comes out in illness. We get colds, we get sick, we can't sleep, we lose our appetite. All of these things are the physical manifestations of the mental health that we have. And <clears throat> when I was growing up, when I was baptized, um, I had to stand up in front of Sligo Church and say I do to a list of things and one of those was, I will not drink caffeine. I will not smoke cigarettes. I will not drink alcohol. But never once in that list did it say, I will never let anyone in my church be lonely. And how different our world would be if our focus was as strong on that as it is on whether people smoke or drink. Yeah. So, so we're, there's a lot of us in this room. We're in this room together. I, how could I be isolated? I'm surrounded, <laughs> literally. <clears throat> by people. Sadly, I think the strongest and fiercest and most debilitating form of isolation is when we're in a large group of people. But I have so many Facebook friends. <laughs> Social media, you know, that's an interesting, an interesting beast. Um, we, we see it as a tool of connectedness, but in, in fact, it's actually more isolating. And, and in children and youth, um, this is one of the reasons depression and suicide is high in them is because of the social media, or at least they turn to social media because they're isolated, but they're connected. So knowing these things and looking out for them help us break down these barriers. All right, so why are we talking about this subject? Why, why do we bring it up here? Well, Actually, there's a very good reason, and it's not just a theoretical reason. There's a reason that togetherness, not just the benefits, but this, this emphasis here is very important because I want to suggest to you something you might not have imagined, and that is of these five values that we listed, worship, family, togetherness, service, and testimony, testimony um, perhaps the most aspirational of all based on information that we have or one of the most, because not all of these values are things we've arrived at, is this togetherness. Now, why do I say that? Well, the reason I say that is because about two and a half years ago, we did a survey amongst uh, around a hundred of the lay leaders in the church. We gave these surveys out and it was the Natural Church Development Survey. And we got the results back. Now, I'm going to show you these graphs. You can't read them, but I'm going to point out to you what's important on here. And this was, this was how we answered. You see some of the areas we answered, yeah, we're pretty strong in that area. Others are a bit lower. And in truth, we'd probably like to have had stronger answers in all of these areas. But there was a couple of things that really stuck out to us. And that was our two lowest areas. One had to do with evangelism, and the other had to do with loving relationships. But as we did more study into the data itself, the things that were really dragging even the evangelism line down had to do with relationships. So do you remember the year that we kept talking about issues of love? We did the, 
the first Corinthians 13 we went through the whole chapter I kept having you look around you and say these are the people I love this was a direct response to these results now I think if we did the survey again and we will do it again at some point I think we've made progress but I still think we have a ways to go here now I want to share with you what our answers as a community were so I want to go to this next slide these are the what is there 10 questions there I think related to loving relationships and you can see some of them were kind of decent but there are some of them that are really low and I'm gonna read you what those questions were the second bar you see there says in our church it is possible to talk with other people about personal problems and the answer we gave was yeah no let's not do that at church that's not really safe then you see it goes up a little bit then it comes back down the fourth bar over the atmosphere of our church is strongly influenced by praise and compliments that was a little bit more of a no not so much the fifth bar over I can rely on my friends at church that ought to hurt our feelings that we would self answer yeah not so much and then the next one I know of people in our church with bitterness towards others the it's a reverse scored so a low means yes I know of a lot of bitter people in the community these are hard answers now these are just some of the answers in the loving relationship but they also ranked the 10 lowest answers of the whole survey which is over 100 questions in the whole survey and of the 10 lowest ranking answers of the whole survey all but two of them center in relationship now if you looked at the 10 highest they all center in achievement we're overachievers except in relationship let me read you some of these so the first one the very lowest value in the whole survey new Christians find friends in our church quickly lowest value of the whole survey yeah it's hard to break in isn't it next one next lowest when new people come to church events we approach them openly and lovingly well maybe that's the reason they find it hard because we don't take it on ourselves we don't take that initiative now the next one is not so much related to relationship but then the one after that says I know that other church members pray for me regularly the fourth lowest answer in the entire survey is that my brothers and sisters at church pray for me that's hard the next one I'm a member of a group in our church where others will pray with me if I need it now that's kind of a self-inflicted misery there because what it says is very few of us have put ourselves in a place to be in a community that prays in our church it is possible to talk with other people about personal problems I can rely upon my friends the next one isn't related to relationship but the last two the atmosphere of our church is strongly influenced by praise and compliments I read you that one before and then 
Many people are given the opportunity to actively participate in our worship service. See, there's barriers. We have lots of barriers on a relational level that are keeping us apart and that are creating tension in our lives together. So Candy, I mentioned barriers. What kind of barriers can exist? Well, there's the really obvious one that we know just from the world at large, and that's cultural barriers. But cultural barriers aren't just ethnicity. They also go to family culture, because even with our own um, ethnic cultures, we can have differences within our families. We also have barriers with our religious culture, and again, that can be in one church, many, many cultures. Um, the other thing is, intergenerationally, our children and youth and our elder adults are the most vulnerable to isolation and loneliness. They also have the highest suicide rate, youth and, and elderly. And so these are barriers that we look at. We don't have anything in common with these people or we're afraid to approach them, and it can create a barrier. The other thing is life situations. Um, Jeff mentioned that once a year we have some, some trauma or tragedy that happens. And, and becoming a widow, becoming divorced, um, these are things that can cause isolation and loneliness and cause a barrier. Those of us that aren't going through those things, a financial disaster, what if we've never gone through one? How do we know what to say? So these are barriers that can be put in place and with us every day that we have to deal with and tear down. So if we were in an open room, we could play a little game here and you would understand this barrier dynamic and how fluid it can be and how you can get left out. So if we're in an open room, I could say, okay, I want all the men to go over on this side and all the women to go over on this side. And as soon as we had done that, all the men would start to have a certain camaraderie and all the women would start to have a certain camaraderie. And I could say little things over here and all the men would laugh. And Candy could say certain things over here and all the women would chuckle about. And we could create that barrier very easily. There's another way we could do it. I could say, okay, I want all the baby boomers here in the front. I want the millennials as far <laughs> away from them as possible in the back. Gen X, we don't care where you go because we've never paid attention to you anyway. And we could split into our generational groups and I could say things that would create barriers. Or we could make it really awkward. I could say everyone of Northern European descent stand over here. Everyone of African descent stand over there. Everyone of Latino descent try to figure out if it's Latino or Hispanic or where in the world you belong and we would have divisions. You see how easy it is for us to have divisions amongst us? But this is the reality of a multi-generational, multicultural division, all of uh, a community. All of those things exist all the time. Now I want to talk just briefly, I got a little data here. So Nancy Skinner did a, uh, did a little survey from the best data she could get about our membership and, and uh, as much of a participating membership number as she could come up with, and, and broke it into the most recent five generations. Now, you can't really read this in either, so I'm going to explain it to you, but the top line there is silent generation. Now, why are they, were they called silent generation? Well, they were, boomed they were put right between the greatest generation and the baby boomer generation. So they're the Gen X of ages gone by. Nobody ever paid attention to them either. So you have brothers, you Gen <laughs> Xers. 
The silent generation, born 1928 to 1945, of those regularly actively participating in one way or another within the community of the church, there's roughly 261 of them, about 10% of the church. Some of you are here right now. If you're silent generation, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're silent. Okay, there you go. You can see a few of them around you. Take a look around so you can know on this. The next group is baby boomers. 1946 to 1964. Within the community of the church, there are roughly 705 of you all participating in what's going on. Roughly 27%, a little over one-fourth. How many of you are baby boomers? Yep, there you are. Lots in the choir. Lots in the choir. The next is Generation X. Not that anybody cares. If there was such thing as a middle child generation, this is it. 1965 to 1980. But here's the thing you didn't know. 885. Fully one-third of the participating membership of this church is a generation nobody ever paid any attention to. If you're Gen X, raise your hand. I'm actually on the line. I'm actually on the line. Right between baby boomers and Gen X. Anybody in the choir? Ah, there's a few of you. All right. Millennials. 23 to 38. 1981 to 1996. 656. Almost as many as the baby boomers. One in four of the members of this congregation are millennials. Did you realize that? One in four. How many millennials in here? Yeah, they don't (laughs) so much tend to come to this service, do they? There's a few of you. It's not one in four, though, is it? Nope. Generation Z. Now, they are underrepresented because their ages are 7 to 22, and we haven't baptized them all yet. So they don't count as members yet. But let me tell you something about the data that skews it heavy in that direction. So in our new children's wing, we have a a new system for registration. And if you come in and you have an expectation that you're going to come again and bring your child on another day, you register in a certain way that indicates that. And every time you come in, you check in in that area. Now this is just for the children's building, which goes from birth to fourth grade. I'm about to tell you a number, but that number excludes juniors, early teens, and youth. Do you know how many kids are registered for Sabbath school classes in the children's wing? 800. 800. That's uh, bigger than every group up there except Generation X. If you just take this data right here and you run an average participating age based on membership here, it's 49. The middle of the road for this congregation is no longer baby boomer. Sorry. (laughs) It's right smack in the middle of Gen X. And this is why I've been telling you these guys are the hinge. They're the hinge. And they see things differently. They see things differently. So I'll, I'll show you the graph of it. It kind of demonstrates it really well. It's a nice little bell curve, isn't it? Guess that's not surprising. 
That's where we are. But we've got barriers between each of these things. Barriers in expectation. Barriers in life experience. Barriers in context. So, Candy, what do we do with barriers? Well, I moved down here about four and a half years ago to assist my parents. Um, And my dad likes to go out to eat. He's a very, very social person. And so he asked me if I would go along with this group of men that were different every day but went out to eat. In fact, they have a name for themselves. It's the Romeo Club. Stands for Retired Old Men Eating Out. (laughs) And... At first, when I was asked to do this, I kind of kicked against the pricks because I'm not any of those things. I am not retired. I am not a man. And for goodness sake, I am not old. And the only commonality we had was that we were eating out. But I had to change my thinking to be present in the moment so that I could appreciate what was going on and to listen to the stories that they told and to realize how the history of our church and Orlando and the Advent Health System came from them. They lived it. Um, They started the emergency room. They told stories of war. They told stories of things in their past. And by listening, I was able to learn and gain an appreciation for them that I would have never had. Otherwise, our paths would never have crossed. So those barriers of me being not retired, old, or considering myself old, or being a man were broken down simply by deciding to change the way I was thinking, to be present in the moment with the people I was with, and to pay attention and listen to the stories that they're telling. Those are things that we can readily do. It only takes a small change to make a big change. And the fact of the matter is, in life, we can't change anything about anybody else. And if you find yourself in a situation where you have butted up against a barrier and you can't change it, look at what you can change about you. What can you change so that you can handle that barrier? And if we all did that, that those small changes would create large changes and connectedness and transparency and these things that kick loneliness and isolation out the door would take place. We would be not only drawing closer to each other and learning valuable lessons from each other, but we would be building a pathway closer to God. So the second bullet point really gets to what Candy's saying here. We are intentional about continually removing barriers that separate us. The first thing we have to admit and agree to is that we have barriers. And we have to accept the fact that the ultimate goal isn't to get everyone to agree with my barriers. It's not going to happen. The ultimate goal, you said, starts in ourselves. Yes. How do we do that? By being aware of the barriers, that's a really, really important thing to do. Be aware of the barriers that are around you and pay attention and see the ways that you can break through them to find commonalities. Like with these guys that I went with, I was more than 20 years younger than any of them, but when they started talking, we found out that there were commonalities that were there beyond just eating out together. So recognizing the boundaries, recognizing the vulnerable people in our church and being able to look and actively break down those. Um, there, are, there are programs here in the church that you can join. 
This is one of them. This is a connected group. When you listen to them talk, there is a, a commonality, a, a, a brotherhood of sorts. Maybe you should call yourselves the boomers. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> anyway, uh, the other thing is we have small groups that you can join. And if there isn't a small group that you want to be a part of, um, there's Sabbath School or Start Your Own. There are support groups that we have that you can come to for issues like having family members with Alzheimer's or dealing with grief or divorce. Again, a life transition that causes isolation and loneliness. We also have special interest groups. We've got the quilting group. We've got gift and thrift. Um, we have a new group that meets on Tuesdays from 3 to 4.30. It's called the Friendship Cafe. Last week, 20 people came. They came with no agenda. There's nothing to study, just to sit around and talk and listen to each other, to get to know each other. Um, we have pastors that you can go to. And don't assume your pastor knows what you're going through. Don't sit back and go, I'm hurting and my pastor didn't contact me. They may not know. We may not know. We sit here in this group, this congregation, and who knows who's isolated in this group because we don't share. It's not safe, according to the statistics. Yeah, so it goes like this. Hey, Candy, how's it going? I'm fine. Great, me too. Bye. Did, did we have an encounter? I mean, it was friendly. And, and that can not necessarily be wrong every time. But if that's as far as we ever go. We've not connected. I have no idea what you are or are not dealing with in that moment. And how many of our interactions never get much beyond that level? So this is what brings us to this third bullet point. We bring our real lives to church and encourage each other through accountability. Now, you looking at the things I read you, our, our answers two and a half years ago to that was, yeah, church isn't the best place to bring your real life. Bring your new suit, bring your best look, smile as much as you can, and get back to your car. That's, that's what we reported. Talk about the people that come to see you. Before I do that, Specific can I... Specific names and everything. <laughs> no, 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 no. Before I do that, I want to say something about these values and, and your pastoral staff. Um, hours were spent calling out these to find out what this church stands for. And through that process your pastoral staff, which is actually a microcosm of the group that, that Jeff put up there. We're, each of those is represented. And a bonding took place, a transparency came out that had never come before, and a connectedness took place. So this is, this is something that we know has value and we know will work, and we know can bring us all together. But when a client comes in to see me, one of the first things that I ask them is what is your support group? And without sharing anything that's confidential, I can tell you that there are people who struggle to scrape up anyone that is their support. And I say to them, do you have a church body that you are belonging to? Is there a church you can join? We have a great church here. Please come join us. And I'll be honest and transparent. It is with fear and trepidation that I say that because I don't always know whether or not they're going to find that place. So 
having a church body is so important. This is what creates the pliability to become that cord of three or a church of a thousand that gives us the strength to not only curb loneliness within each other, but also to lift each other up to Christ. So at the bottom of this is written the purpose. We desire to create a culture of acceptance, inclusion, personal spirituality, and encouragement that resembles the New Testament church. Now, I'll confess to you, we were reaching a little bit for an example there because if you read enough about the New Testament church, very often they were just a train wreck like everybody else. But there were moments. So maybe an Antioch moment. Maybe we could have an Antioch moment where people from all over came together and the Spirit of the Lord was there and they went out in great power. That's what we're going for. So we were talking about this and talking with Pastor Barbara and she had a recommendation that uh, maybe at the end we, we make a big appeal even about togetherness. And so, so here was my thought and Candy contributed here. I thought it was very meaningful that the baby boomers, each of you find a millennial and take one another's hands. And Candy suggested we sing side by side, but then I said, no, the millennials don't even know it and you would have to teach it to them, and Gen X would have to hold their own hands because no one ever held their hand at any other point. You know you keep saying that, and you are building a barrier. <laughs> I'm technically in that group, so I have to fuss on their behalf. But no, it, it's ridiculous, right? It's silly to say, but it's not as silly, really, because we really could do that. The barriers are more barriers in our mind that we perceive. How many of you would be thrilled to have someone come up and be friendly regardless of their generation? Mm. I think just about any of us, right? There aren't too many that are completely mean. <laughs> How many of you can be friendly to someone of another generation? A lot of our, our youth are gone today because they're with Pastor Mark at the Becoming Retreat, and this is a special event that takes place every year. But one of the things Pastor Mark talks about all the time is how much it means to his youth when an adult acknowledges them. Now, they may not show it well. In fact, most of the time they don't. But have you ever noticed that thing that youth do sometimes? They act like they don't notice you, but they're kind of looking at you out of the corner of their eye. It's intimidation. They're nervous. We're nervous around each other. We're intimidated. But we're the sons and daughters of the Father. We're all made one in Jesus Christ. If, if we can't live it here, it can't be lived anywhere. How can we get there? What can we do? Well, I really like what you said about, about talking with each other. Um, I think that that's really important. You know, how many times have you heard people say, I went into the church and no one said hello to me? Um, paying attention to be the one, making, making a, a resolution to talk to one person more than, hi, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Um, we're not, we have a tendency to think that to make a change, we have to just jump in whole hog and make a huge, huge change. But again, like I said before, a small change is all that's needed, and we can come with a big change. So saying hello, 
um, being the first one to speak up, smiling at the youth. Just smile at them. They get so excited. They'll be timid, but they at least know you're a safe place. Building, beginning to build piece by piece those trusting relationships that we want to have. Joining things in the church that you can join. Looking out for those things that might isolate people. You have someone in your Sabbath school group that's gone through a divorce. Go up and say hello. How are you doing? Only really listen. And when they say fine, say, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. Let's go deeper. So doing those things that break down those barriers, watching for those things that build barriers and countering them, and deciding in yourself to find out what change you need to make, I need to make, so that a change can be made in the person I'm talking with. I think what you're saying is captured well in this text, Hebrews 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So the the core starting point is our faith in Jesus. We hold fast that, but then what? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So I start with faith and then I, I look at candy. I look at any one of you. I look at you in the choir and I think, how can I stir up? Not trouble. Connectedness. How can I stir up love and good works? And then not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We have a chance to build each other, not tear each other down. What a blessing. We're going to have to do it. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to do it, but we're going to have to. Look around you. Go on. Look. Turn your heads. You're not moving. You forget that I can see you. Turn your heads. Look at these people. All right. You ready? Say it with me. These These are are the the people people I love. love. Amen. Candy, pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, so, so much for the fact that we can come together, that we can be together. Thank you that that you've given us discernment so that we can look out for each other. Father, please build a spirit of togetherness here in this church. Build the opportunity for connectedness. And please send your Holy Spirit in a mighty, mighty way to make us a together, connected, transparent, and loving group of people. Let this be a place where we all find our spot. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Amen.